here. You have sermon notes? If not, the usher is going to move through the auditorium and they are going to hand those out as we continue in our series. And anybody who is in those meetings and interested at all in hearing what we say, they'll just get it by tape. All our ushers are handing out notes, all one of you, right? Okay. Anybody, anybody need to, oh, there are other guys. Sorry, I didn't see you over there. Okay, just if you need notes, follow along. Here's where we're headed for Romans chapter 14. We want to wrap up this part of Romans chapter 14. If you've not been with us, what we're doing is an expository study through this section of the book of Romans. We're talking about an issue that is very, very important. The issue in the book of Romans has to do with food fighting. That's one of the things that they got in arguments over. Now, some of you have been in food fights. My most, most, um, a fond memory of a food fight is one we took on a missions trip up in Canada years ago. Pastor Art was before he was a preacher boy or in that phase. And uh, so he accompanied my wife and I and we were up there and he ended up on one side of the room and we ended up on the other side of the room. And you made chocolate chip pancakes for breakfast. And I decided to see, hey, what happens when you throw the chocolate chip pancake? Does the chocolate splatter? It does. Oh, it was wonderful. We got this whole room. It kind of looked like that. And uh, it, was, it was kind of wild. Then in another one of those instances, we used, uh, what are they called, the gummy bears? The real small little things? They, what's that? The fruit snack. Yeah, the fruit snack type one. They leave marks. Okay, if you throw them hard enough, they leave an imprint. It was so much fun. Okay, so we did these food fight things, and they can be fun, and they can be enjoyable, and I know you'll never send your kids with me again. But um, you, those things can be enjoyable. They can be a, a good memory, a fun memory, if it's under control. What happens in the Church of Rome is they have a food fight. And the food fight is not things that they're throwing. It's words, and it's accusations, and it's comments. And what has happened here in the Church of Rome is they've had such difficulty there in getting along that these individuals individuals who are divided, they are so divided, they can't, even, they can't even worship together with the right attitude. They won't talk to each other. They will only condemn one another. And uh, so Paul is led by the Spirit of God to address it. And the factions in the church were over foods. Now that's not the only item. They also came and the discussion came, what about days of festivities? The, the discussion also comes towards the end of the chapter where he'll mention, okay, some of you are having a struggle. So, And he talks about drinking wine towards the end of the chapter as well. And he makes one reference to that. And so you have a variety of different things that are going on and they're having this discussion where God says, I'm gonna re- I need to talk about it. And he spends an entire chapter which is a lengthy uh, amount of scripture on this one issue of what about your your conflicts, where is your rights, where is your liberties, and what are you supposed to do about that? And so he gives them several different pieces of instruction. And again, let me remind you, we are not talking about an institutional standard. Let me state that from the beginning. We are talking about personal liberties. Does an institution like a local church have the the authority? Do they have the approval of God to establish a standard that they say for uniform presentation? Here's how we're going to do things as far as something, doing things in an orderly and, uh, and, and good fashion. They do. Any church has that right. They can set up. And if you're going to go to a church and say, well, they have these rules that they say, hey, if you're going to do and you're going to work in the church and here's a standard that we want for our teachers or for you know, our presentation publicly, they have that right to establish something that says just for presentation's sake and example setting, here's what we have for a standard. And that is permissible. Businesses do it all the time. They might have a clothing standard. They might have a, a standard 
standard of what are you supposed to, if you work for Chick-fil-A, what are you supposed to say to the customer? It is my pleasure, okay, to serve you. And so they can do that. But where it violates the area is, in a couple of ways, is one, if that church or anybody says, as long as you keep this standard that we've set for a tire, you keep this standard, that makes you spiritual. Now that's moved into the realm of legalism. Okay, and that becomes a problem in and of itself. Or, or when all of a sudden that church or whatever group says, this is what you need to do in your privacy of your home, and you need to think the same way we think. Otherwise, you're not right. Well, he's dealing with personal liberties in your home. He's not dealing with institutional standards. He is dealing with what about you choosing what you want for your standards for yourself, your family. And so he's laying it up and he's saying, now, within the church, these aren't things that the church has established, a food standard, but it's some different standards that some have decided in the church, and now they are making it an issue that if you are going to be spiritual, you have to do what I do. And so he says, here's where I want you to correct this issue. And he goes through chapter 14. In chapter 14, he's talked about this first section down in verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive, but not to doubt for disputations. We talked about this last week. For one believes that he may eat everything, another believe that is weak, he eats only the veg- vegetables. Let him that eat stop despising him that eats not. Let him that eats not stop judging him that eats, for God hath received him. The idea is accept one another. Stop breaking fellowship over this food business. That's your personal choice, preferences. Based on your personal background, stop judging, stop isolating, accept one another. Then, we talked about last week, adjust your thinking. What we meant by that was this. Stop despising the individual. It is the idea, as we see here, thinking that this person is foolish, they're weak, they're, they're, you know, they're not as spiritual. Stop that. Stop that. Then he makes sure that in verse 5 he emphasizes, and we talked about this briefly last week, he says that one esteems one day above another, another esteems it every day. Let every man be fully persuaded where? Where does he say? In his own mind. Adjust your thinking. And this is, I didn't say this, but I think this is a critical thought. It's not up to me to tell you how to have standards in your home. I can give you moral standards. I can give you ethical standards. But in the application of some of that, is I, that's not my, my place to give you. If you do these ten things, this is what you, know, you have to do in your home as far as your entertainment standards, as far as your dress standards. That's not my place. You be fully persuaded in your own mind. So be careful what you say. And then he goes on, he says, okay, adjust your thinking. And I want to repeat this again, because he that regards the day, verse 6, regards it to the Lord. They made this decision. These were spiritually sensitive people. They decided that they thought it was okay to observe this day. Some said it's not okay to observe this day, whatever it be, a a holiday of some sort. That regards not the day. To the Lord he doesn't regard it. And he says, he that eats, eats it to the Lord and he gives God thanks. He that doesn't eat to the Lord he eats not and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, no man dies to himself. Whether we live, we live unto Christ. Every one of these people were making these decisions in this great group, they were making the decisions based upon what they thought God would have them to do when it came to their diet, when it came to 
this issue of regarding the certain days. Again, we're not talking a moral issue. We're not talking an ethical issue. We're talking a personal experience, a personal reaction to something around you that may cause you to trigger some memory in your mind or some action in your mind. And so he says, adjust your thinking, accept the fact, and this is hard for us to do, accept the fact that different views come from different people who all love the Lord. I'm not talking a doctrinal issue. We're not, ta- we're not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something very personal, very private, personal liberties. Other people can differ from me and they still love the Lord. They may have a different taste in music and they may still love the Lord. They may like a different, they, they may, may like to shave different. They still love the Lord. They may even choose, they may even think it is appropriate to come to church without a tie on. And they still love the Lord. They might even come to church and they might say, I'm going to wear dresses, uh, the gals. I'm going to wear dresses. That was dumb to say it that way, but okay. I'm going to wear dresses and I feel that this is, my, this is the attire I'm going to wear when I come to worship. They love, they love the Lord. Just because they choose to have that standard that may be different than some of you. They love the Lord. So we need to adjust our thinking that it is okay within the body of Christ to have some variety. We need to adjust our thinking that it's okay to have differences in these areas of personal liberties. Somebody might honestly be love the Lord and be, be totally fine with saying, I'm okay with having cable in my home. Somebody might say, I don't want cable in my home because I can't handle it. Both of them may, not, may totally love the Lord and are confident. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Those who differ in these areas from us may be led of the Lord based upon their weaknesses or their strengths. That's a huge change of thinking because we often think everybody should be totally the same. And here's the problem with some of us is that we think if God leads us, he leads everyone to the exact same conclusions. That's not true in some of these areas. Now, it's, it's true when it comes to a moral issue. It's true when it comes to an ethical issue. It's true when it comes to a doctrinal issue, but not when it comes to based upon the influences of your personal experiences in some of those areas where there's liberty. And so we have to be very careful. The third thing he says, both groups, abandon all forms of criticism. Stop the comments, stop the critical remarks, stop despising, stop judging one another. And I veered off this morning to try to bring some balance to this whole discussion of judging. Is it right to judge at times? Absolutely, positively. Is it wrong to judge? This is one of the times it's wrong. It's to judge, to judge wrong at times, hypocritically, from another text. To judge wrong by saying everybody needs to be like you or me. That's wrong. That's inappropriate. And so we don't allow ourselves to share, to initiate the critical comments about those who differ in their standards. Okay? I'll give you one that's, that's debated in some churches. Should Christians send their kids to a public school? Should their kids be in a private school? Should they do homeschooling? And some people make this a spiritual decision. Could God lead some Christian families to put their kids in a public school? So you don't even want to say yes to this. Okay, because we're hesitant. Could God lead somebody to put their kids in a Christian school? Could God lead some to put their kids in, you know, a homeschool environment? Y- yes. 
Now, you and I may say, I have, for me and for my family, I have to look what works. What works for one family may not work for another family. There's all kinds of input into this. It could be economics. It could be abilities. It could be what is close by. There are some people that, yes, I'm going to put my kid in this school. Their their options are very limited. Plus, they want to say, I want my kids to have some impact and influence in reaching the lost. Which one is spiritual? All of them can be, because whose decision is it? It's that family before the Lord Jesus Christ, yes? Okay, see, that's, that's the type where we get, whose business is it for me to tell everybody in this church what they should do, okay? And I've been challenged this way. I've been challenged that I don't promote certain things strong enough. I've been challenged most, more so in the area of you've got to tell people that they have to do homeschooling. I couldn't do that because that would be hypocritical for me because we never homeschooled. The reason we didn't homeschool, we would have killed them. Okay, it's just, and so for us, we looked and said, this is, we don't have the abilities to give them the training that way. And so for us, we chose that we would use different methods. And by the way, are, is there, of these three, contrary to what you may think, any one of these three perfect? Public school, private school, homeschool, is anyone solve every issue? No. Do they all have strengths? Do they have weaknesses? It's got to be very personal. And so he says, okay, abandon the critical remarks about somebody making that decision if they make it before the Lord. Um, and so, but at the same time, I, I tell you, if somebody comes and asks me for advice, I'm going to challenge them. You better think about your abilities. If you don't have the abilities to do it or the self-discipline to train your kids at home, you shouldn't be homeschooling, Right? Okay, there's some practical areas there. And so that's not the critical marks. That's the advice and being, being practical in that area. But the idea is, say, okay, you know, they just don't love the Lord because they decide to put their kids in public school. Or they, they have their kids, their kids are seeking a degree in a state institution, so they are definitely not in love with the Lord. You can't say that. Okay? Now, you may have strong personal preferences in some of those areas, and I do. But that doesn't mean that some other people can't be used of God in those environments. And so we got to be careful. Let's go into a new realm. The stronger, okay, a stronger must assist the others by giving up their liberties. That is the intent of a, part, a large portion of this text. He is going to write to them and he says, okay, I've just told you stop judging. We looked at it this morning, verse 10, 11, 12, 13. Now watch, watch, we, well, let's pick up in the middle of 13. Let us therefore judge one another, uh, let us not judge one another anymore, but you must judge this, you must, must discern this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. For I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if your brother be grieved with the meat that you eat instead of the vegetables, then he says, and, you, and he's grieved and you're chomping on it right in front of him and saying, boy, this is good. You should try some. He's basically, you walk not charitably. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. Those passages, just let's, let's dissect it. This is written by a former legalist. <laughs> Paul's background was he was pharisaical. He was one of the Pharisees of the Pharisees. He knew about rules and regulations. So this statement is really profound coming out of his lips, inspired by God. And he makes a statement, nothing is unclean, as he's going through this whole section. And this, this is so often 
these, this is so often it's misinterpreted. Oh, Paul is saying, some will respond, Paul is saying there are no moral standards. He's saying that anything goes, it's totally left up to the individual. That is not true. That is, you read the context of what he's already said in chapters all the way from 6 all the way up to chapter 13. He's made it very clear. There are a number non-negotiable moral issues. He isn't saying those things are now on the, on the table for discussion. He is talking within context. Within context, he's talking about the nothing being the meats, the days. He's not talking about immorality. He's not talking about sexuality. He's not talking about ethics like honesty and stealing. That's not the issue. He's not talking about habits in your life that are addictive. He's not talking about drunkenness. That's not an issue here. He isn't saying, okay, you can't say that, 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 that that's an unclean. He's already pointed out those are morally condemned. Those are things we stay away from. He's already said in chapter 13, we do not live in darkness, we live in light. And there's some things very, very clear. But in verse 14, he says nothing in the context of these areas where there's nothing stated about. Nothing is unclean. The word that he's talking about is not dealing with a doctrine. We're not dealing with a moral issue. He is talking about unclean, and this is the way the Jews would understand it. It's koine. We, in fact, we talk about our Bible being written in koine, the common vernacular. Koine means very common. Jewish writers would say koine to refer to something secular, something that in their mind was spiritually harmful. And he's saying nothing in and of itself, these areas of liberty such as the meat, or such as the holy days, or the non-holy days, or the attire you're going to wear. And he's not talking about immodest attire. That's dealt with. That's a moral issue. But he's talking about the colors that you wear, okay? The style that you wear. Nothing in and of itself is spiritually harmful innately, okay? Innately is adultery harmful. Innately, in and of itself, is adultery going to be harmful, Yes. Is drunkenness innately harmful? Yes. Is stealing innately harmful? Is disobedience to parents innately harmful in and of itself? Yes. But what about herbs and vegetables? What about whether or not you listen to TV? Now, can TV contain a bunch of garbage? Yes, okay. But what about, what about whether or not you play sports on Sunday? Is that, can that, is that in and of itself damaging to everybody and everybody and anybody who gets involved with it? No, okay. It's a personal issue. What about whether or not you wear a tie? Is a tie innately harmful? Yes, I know, I know. I knew I was going to get it. Okay. Is it innately harmful for a woman to wear slacks? By the way, can it be more modest at times? Yes. Okay. So you're dealing with those, those situations that are not in... That's what he's saying. There's a lot of things that are not innately harmful. They're not bad. And so when it comes to the meats, it comes to the days, he's making it clear. And Paul is going to, in his wisdom, and coming from a legalistic background, he was trained that way, he is saying, I've come to a decision and to a conclusion through my study and leading of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of these things that are innately not harmful or detrimental, but... They could be based upon the person's personal experience. 
If that person who regards the meat as harmful to them, it is harmful to them. That person who says, I go and I celebrate this holiday or holy, you know, recognition of this feast day, it's harmful, it drags me back into Judaism, then it's harmful to them. But it means nothing to you because you don't have that same background. And so he's recognizing that I do have to be aware of individuality. I need to know what they're doing. When it comes to someone who is impacted by these issues, let's make these comments. We are not supposed to put a stumbling block in their way. We're not supposed to put, the word he uses is a stick, a stone, something that trips them up. Then he says, we're not supposed to make an occasion to fall. This is a trap and snare. They're different. He's using two different words to highlight. One of these is basically accidentally putting, a, putting something in their way. The other one is intentionally putting something to trip them up. One is harmful. They might fall, stub their toe. One is like the toy, the jet airplane that your kid or the Tonka toy that they have, the little, the little you know, cars, whatever, that they have in the house, and you step on them at night when you're walking through. That's harmful, yes? Yeah, it hurts, okay? You remember the jacks that we used to play with as kids? Thank God they're not. Well, are they still around? Okay, you step on those at night, okay, they can hurt. Okay, But what he's talking about is something that, that's an idea, but he also says something deadly. The word that he uses here is the, is the trigger like on a mouse trap. It is something that is not just to stumble the mouse. What is that mouse trap supposed to do? It's supposed to, that was so nice to say catch. Okay, it, uh, most of our mouse traps are designed to, yeah, to, to really cause deep harm and death to them. And he's saying, don't put either one of these levels. Don't do it incidentally. Don't do it accidentally. He's talking about whether or not you left a kid, the toy there and somebody might stumble on it or you left an absolute snare there with bungee you know, sticks at the bottom of this pit. He says either one of them is totally wrong for us to do to somebody else. We need to give up. We need to give up when it comes to Something that may stumble somebody. But I, I need to pause for a second. So you might say, wait a minute, I, it, it really bothers me that others don't wear ties. And it, it, it is my opinion and it's going to stumble me. Uh, you know, so therefore, I think we should have everybody wear a tie. Ladies too. Okay, because this is so important. And he's, he's not saying your preferences should dictate to everybody else. We are talking about really seriously, is, your, is somebody not wearing a tie going to go you, take you back into paganism? It's that type of an impact that it could draw you back into false worship. I really don't think wearing a tie or not wearing a tie is one of those things that takes people back into false worship. Okay, or you know the, this idea of well, I prefer this color of clothing. Okay, but if it takes you back into a false worship, well, then we have to consider it. But otherwise, we're talking about real major issues here that are impacting. And our point is, we need to protect other Christians. This is a really important point. We need to protect one another. Others who may not be, uh, they may not be uh, uh, strong in the Lord. They are called weak because they haven't had enough growth yet. They hadn't had enough experience yet to come out of it. It's too fresh, some of their background. I'll give you a story of it, a true story of a missionary that ran into something that you are going to think is bizarre, but for them it wasn't. They were ministering in an area of the world where 
where they had a lot of idols, a lot of icons, and it was a very strong uh, Roman Catholic community they were ministering in, in one of these small island countries, and everybody there would have a manger. It was very important at Christmas time you display a manger. And in fact, these missionaries, they put a manger out as well on their front yard. They thought this was the thing to do because everybody did and they saw nothing wrong with the manger. And then when they brought some new converts to their house, these new converts really struggled. They had a real tough time with that manger. The reason being is their background. In that community, it was so strong that everybody, typically in that, in that uh, Catholic background, they would take those mangers, they would have them blessed by the priest and they would bring them to their house. And the reason that they put them up wasn't just to celebrate, to think about Christmas, but it was a thought process that was very common there that if you have this, God will bless your house. If you don't have one, God won't bless your house. And so in that culture, they put so much stock in that manger scene that it was a way of getting God's grace upon your household that it became a form of idolatry. Well, all of a sudden, this missionary is then there, and his manger meant nothing to him. These scenes meant nothing, but to those new converts, it was like, oh, wait a minute, you told us we're saved by grace. But now you have a manger scene that is supposed to be something that brings this grace. We're confused. We don't understand. And it really, it, we think there's a contradiction. For him, he realized that he needs to just, let's remove that manger scene. So I don't hinder and give a false thinking about how to worship at Christmas time. And you and I, that would be totally foreign to us because that's not something we typically grow up with. But for those people, that was a battle. And he had to decide. And so his decision was, I don't want to grieve my brother. Like he says in verse 15, if your brother be grieved, and it's not just like, I don't like it. It's the idea of lupo. It's the idea of, man, you are devastated that this person has a manger scene. You don't think he's now true to the faith. You don't think that you know, it's causing you to, to question your faith and how to worship and take you back. And so he says, we got to be loving enough that we realize, I don't have to eat this meat if it's going to cause somebody a problem. I don't have to observe this day if it's going to cause somebody a problem. I don't have to do something if it's going to be that big of an issue and stumble them spiritually, cause an occasion, or grieve them, cause them to lose their joy in Christ and that they are absolutely grieved in the heart that they think that they're going to sin against the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit. That those individuals are so broken that way. And he says, I cannot destroy somebody that way. You and I can't. We can't wipe them out by eating the meat. In other words, give up our liberty if it's going to really really truly hurt someone spiritually. And I mean hurt them spiritually, not just that they don't, they don't agree with you. But they truly, truly will be hurt spiritually. We give it up. We give it up. Our illustration we used last week, okay? I have no reason. You know, I, I, it, it, it doesn't bother me personally to go into a place that has, okay, a bar over there and the food over here. I don't go over there. I'm not attracted to the liquor over there. It has no appeal to me whatsoever. But could some Christian, a baby Christian, by seeing that, by being in that, even in that environment, could they be tested or tempted that they're drawn towards that direction? Yeah. I, I could care less if it's a Wendy's burger or if it's, you know, the steakhouse. And I can give up the liberty so as not to hurt somebody. And so could the majority of you. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, okay, if somebody comes to my home and they choose not to have a TV in their house, 
Okay? I'm not getting rid of my TV and moving it out of the room and pretend it's not there. But the one thing I'm going to make sure, if I know that somebody struggles with TV and they don't want it because they were addicted to it, and I'm not going to have them come over to my house and say, hey, let's watch a movie together. Because that's just going to cause them some stumbling. I can live and visit without the TV on. Can you? And that's the point. He's saying, yes, we can. Okay, give up our liberty so as not, in other words, we're back to this issue, protect one another. Protect one another in such a way that you are valuing that other person, that their spiritual walk is more important than your doing your thing. You know, we value a lot of things. We, we, we value in violins. Is the Stradivarius violin highly valued? Yes, there are only 650 of them in the world. When he made them, he handmade them, and there was, he made each one from 70 different pieces of wood. They're hand-designed, they're hand-signed. And there's a bunch of them around the world. Most of them are not going to be played in public in the sense of, okay, somebody's got them in their living room and anybody who comes in, they let them play. They're using cases or they're locked away because they're highly valued. The last one that was sold was for $3.2 million dollars. Now, don't you wish you would inherit one, okay? So they're, they're a highly valued item. Because they're highly valued, the individuals who own them place them in a secure spot. They don't flippantly say, hey, listen, I want my, my five-year-old to learn to play. Why don't you take a Stradivarius and you can practice on this? You would say, okay, that's, I, I, I want to be very, very particular in handling this item. <laughs> I was reading a story about a woman who has a Rolls-Royce brand new in fact, she's visiting New York. She comes into town and she walks into a bank and she says, I need to talk to the person here who's in charge of the loans. He says, can I help you? Yes. Um, I'm here in New York. Some of my friends, we're going to take a trip. We're going to go over to Europe. It's kind of an unexpected thing. But I need $5,000 cash in order to go on this trip and to just have the cash on hand. We'll be gone for two weeks. Can I get a $5,000 loan? Well, you're not a customer of ours. We do some checking. But, you know, do you have any collateral? She says, I have my... Rolls-Royce. It's worth $300,000. And here's the paperwork that she just happened to have with her. All of the titles and everything. She says, would you loan me the $5,000 for two weeks based upon this $300,000 car? And you as the banker would say, yeah, sure, I would do that. And you would giggle and laugh. Because, which they did, because they signed the thing. She got her $5,000, walked out as happy as a lark, and they're going, wow, are you kidding me? If she defaults on this, we've got we made out pretty good on this deal. And so they're kind of thinking, who does this? And they did a little bad background check and they found out this woman's worth a lot of money. You know, what in the world? Why did she even come to our bank? Why, did, why didn't she just do an electronic transfer? She could, we don't understand. So, anyway, we've got this car. You need one of the employees. Take this car down into the garage underneath. Put it under the security cameras. Lock it up. Keep it safe. Two weeks later, the gal shows up. She walks into the bank the day she's back from New York, and she plops $5,000 on the table and says, here's the payment of the loan. How much is the interest? $15.41 for the two weeks. She says, gladly, here's the $15.41. Thank you so much. She's ready to walk out, and the bank president, who knew the scenario, came over. He says, ma'am, ma'am, can I just ask you a question? Why did you do this? We did a little bit of checking. You didn't need to do that. It just seems kind of weird. You know, why did you put your car up for collateral? She says, oh, actually, I didn't put my car up for collateral. He says, yes, you did. No. She says, where else in New York City can you park your car for two weeks and get it totally in safety and security for (laughs) $15.41? Smart woman, right? She used the system because she valued her car. 
Okay, you and I are told in this passage to value people. To value the people that are around us. And what we do is we do not hurt them or stumble them if they are struggling. If they are battling with some area, even if it means giving up our liberties, our rights. Now let's go to the second, another area. When we, he's talking to those who are stronger, I'm going to assume that's the majority of you. He's talking, he says, hey listen, and, and this is all of us now, even those who are battling, and some of us are strong at times, weak at times. Look what the next command is. Let not your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, joy, in the Holy Ghost. What's he mean by that? What's he mean, let not your good be spoken evil of? Okay, he's talking about don't be blasphemed. You can be blasphemed. People can accuse you. People can attack you. And he's saying you have liberty. You have liberty. It's okay to have liberty. But don't let your liberties, all of a sudden, they're being spoken evil of because of the way you are conducting yourself with your liberties. And he's making a comment. He says, you need to understand something. There is something more important in this world than you and me having the liberty to eat certain foods, uh, observe certain days, uh, you know, wear a tie, not wear a tie, um, being able to, the, amount, the, the makeup, whether you wear it or not wear it, or slacks or dresses, or whatever, you know, what electronic stuff and gadgets. There is something more important than that, and it is your reputation that's based upon the kingdom of God's qualities. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy trump the foods we eat. Righteousness, peace, and joy trumps the choice of, of style of clothes. Righteousness, peace, and joy are more important than whether or not we observe days. And so he's saying, be careful of your reputation, that you do not insist on having liberty to do things that will hurt people and you lose that which is most important, a reputation for righteousness, peace with others, and creating joy and promoting joy. You know, there are some things that you, you and I may not like, but this passage is very clear about. This passage is saying, you and I are being watched. We can't get away from it. We can't get, as Christians, we're being watched. As Christians, we do have an impact and influence upon people. We are being watched by other Christians. We are, some of you don't, don't want to, you know, acknowledge this, but the fact is, baby Christians who come to church and look at you, they're watching you. The fact is, your, your kids, your grandkids, they're watching you. Teenagers, your younger siblings are watching you. They are looking to say what is really important in your life and what is going to be important in my life. You have to say the most important things are righteousness, peace, and joy. Not me being able to do what I want to do. Not being able to express myself the way I want to. No, it's about not my personal rights and liberties. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. I need to demonstrate them to my younger brothers, sisters more than anything else. I've got to demonstrate to them how I re relate. I'll give you a real example. You need to demonstrate for your younger siblings in your home something like righteousness, joy, and peace more than being able to do what you want to do. That means you need to demonstrate before them an obedience and a respect to your parents. That's righteousness. That's peace. That's joy. More than, yeah, but I want to. And I don't I have the right to. You've got to show godliness. You've got to demonstrate this idea of I'm going to live to do what God has commanded me to do. That's more important than anything else, that I do that. And I have an influence. 
You have an influence. As kingdom citizens, he goes on to say in these verses that we don't have the right to do whatever we want. He says the kingdom of God is not about meat and drink. It's about righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God. That's it. To be acceptable to God. To be approved of men. You know, by testimony that they look and say you're the, and, and the approved of man here has this idea that you are genuine, that you are the real thing, that you are giving a demonstration. He says that's more important than you being able to do your own thing, be able to eat or not to eat the drinks. He is telling us that you and I need to examine our lives and say, are we promoting righteousness? It's not about ties or no ties. It's righteousness. It's not about whether or not TV or not TV. It's the key factor is righteousness. It's not about the attire. It's righteousness. It's not about the meat or not the meat. It's righteousness. Holiness before God Almighty. Peace with one another. That peace that says, okay, we are demonstrating a unity in Christ. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have Love one towards another. You're protecting one another. But so many times we get about these small issues. Two churches want to merge. They believe their denomination, and, and I don't even know what the denomination was. They're the same denomination in the same town. They're only three blocks apart. The big argument was, okay, we, neither one of us can keep the building going. Neither one of us were failing and falling apart as a congregation. Let's merge together. They get together, they discuss the merger, and they couldn't find the common denominator because it had nothing to do with doctrine, had nothing to do with finances, it had to do with the Lord's Prayer. One group said, we will only get involved with you if you pray it the same way we pray it. The issue was, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts. They mean the same thing, but they could not agree on which phrase to use. Isn't that silly? Isn't that silly? So they both ended up going under and failing, and they became a, they became a public uh, article about the foolishness of not getting along together. You know, and they ruined their testimony of peace in that community over which way to phrase the, the prayer. So silly. The t- reputation we're supposed to be looking for is a reputation that shows righteousness, peace, and joy. There's a Sunday school teacher that wrote an article, and his article there says this, there is no verse indicating Jesus ever smiled or laughed. Therefore, we should ne- never do either one. There is no Bible verse that Jesus ever took a bath. There is no Bible verse that Jesus ever changed his clothes. There's no Bible verse he ever combed his hair. Okay, that solves it. We never bathe. We never change clothes. We never comb our hair. Really? Is that the way we do it? In fact, doesn't the Bible talk about having joy of the Holy Spirit? You know, that we demonstrate. I remember going out, and I may have mentioned this, we were at a restaurant, and the woman at the, at the um, reception, whatever you call it, hostess, this woman was the most joy-filled woman I had seen all week. She was just, she was fun to watch. And afterwards when I went up, I, when I was paying, I was saying, I want to thank you for your attitude. You have been an encouragement just by your demeanor and your attitude. And I said, you must be born again. She says, I am. And she says, how could you not be excited if you're a born-again Christian? 
and it was just it was just permeated her life. Well, he's saying in this text, he's saying righteousness, peace, and joy. We're supposed to be expressing that, and so not the not the cantankerous attitude, not the picky attitude, but we have to back up and say, okay, my righteousness, my peace, my joy, am I acceptable before God Almighty? That's my criteria in what I do, how I act, and I know it's unacceptable if I infringe upon others and hurt others. That's unacceptable. I know that I will hurt my testimony if I'm not about righteousness, if I'm not about peace, not about joy. I know that. I understand that. You do too. Okay? You will hurt your testimony if you are insistent upon doing things that will stumble and hurt others. You, you lose your reputation. Are you acceptable to God? And he, so he goes on, he says, are you approved of men? What is your reputation? What is, what do they believe? Are you authentic? Remember this morning I told you about the coins and on the coins those edges got rough and they would trim away the coins? Yes, no? Do you remember anything from this morning? Okay. So they would trim the coins and then they would, after a while people were trimming the coins so much in these ancient empires, especially in Greece, that these coins that they were whittling off the edges that would get frayed and they would get, they would get narrow, that they started losing the value of the coin. And so in those days, and I said to you that in, in Athens alone they had 80 laws prohibiting how much you could trim off a coin. And seeing being a soft metal, they could do it with their knives. And so they had all these laws, and they started, and you read about it in some ancient, they have docamos or adocamos, type of coins. Docimus means it's the real thing. It's of the value it claims. Adocimus means it's not. And in fact, some of the shops would advertise, we only take Docimus coins. Or we will only give back Docimus coins. And they have in some of the ancient Greek writings, they, they would say there are some Adocimus and some Docimus merchants in town. That they are really living up to what the value is or they're, they're, they're cheats. They just, they trim off too much. And in the sense that he's talking about, he says, I want you here to be docamos. I want you to be approved, to be genuine, to be authentic. And I told you this, that Spurgeon had a propensity towards cigars. And it's very common. And they even took some of his comments that were made. There was another great preacher in town, Joseph Parker, I think is the name. And he and, and Spurgeon both preached a clear gospel. They didn't get along. They separated fellowship after they served together for a number of times because Parker chose that he would still go to the theater and he was critical of Spurgeon smoking cigars. And so they separated over this and became a, a public issue. And uh, in time, so Spurgeon was real strong with this until, remember I said they used his name as, in advertisement? When he saw the first billboard there in London that talked about if it's good enough for Spurgeon, the cigar, it's good enough for you. That so moved him that his name was being publicly associated, not with the gospel, the promotion of the gospel, but a promotion of a cigar. That was the last day he smoked a cigar. He said, if my reputation is being tainted and it's causing that much of a problem, then I'm going to get rid of this thing. What is your reputation? What is the reputation that people know about? Now watch what he's done. He's talked about this. He's saying your reputation is so important that it's not about getting your way and doing your thing. And then he seems to me repeat these thoughts again. He goes, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, the things wherewith one may edify, and where for meat destroys not the work of God. All things indeed are pure. It is the evil for that man who eats with an offense. It is good neither at times not to eat the flesh, nor to drink the wine, nor anything whereby your brother would stumble, or is offended, or is made weak. 
And so it seems to be a repetition. This is so important. Give up, give up, give up. Recognize there are differences. Give up. Then he gives another command. He gives a, the final command where he goes into this passage and I'm going to call it advancing confidence. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he that condemns not himself in the thing that he's allowing. I think this confidence idea is very, very important. The idea is you need to be sure. Do you have faith? Have you come to a decision? What have you decided? Have it to yourself and you and God. What he's telling us, and if I can use one word descriptions, quietness. Quietness. Whatever my, my personal private liberties are, they're between me and God. I don't have to broadcast them. I do too much of that because of the pulpit. But I don't need to broadcast them. I don't need to make sure that everybody knows my personal standards and that, oh, wow, look at me, I'm doing that. That's pharisaicalism when we're doing it for show. So there's an idea of saying, okay, we develop our personal standards. Have them. Have them. Keep them to yourself. Keep them to yourself. Don't make them a discussion. Don't make them a debate. Don't even, don't even bring some of this up at times. You just do it. It's between you and God. Can I give you another one word comment that I think is here? Ownership. Ownership. When he's saying here, have it to yourself and God, I think you need to have personal standards in these areas. You need to own some. For the young people, can I make a comment to you in particular? You need to reevaluate some of the actions and, and style of clothing and things and say, how does they honor God? I understand this. As long as you're in your parents' home, they will set the tone for the standards. I really appreciate this about my four kids, that in the areas that we had standards in our home that were personal standards, our discussion at times was, Dad and Mom, why do you have this standard? I would give my reasons. They, on some of them, they did not buy it. They did not say, we, under, you know, we understand and we're going to adopt that. Because they didn't have the same background. They grew up within a Christian home environment. They didn't have the same battles I had. But every time we have this discussion, and I can say with confidence every time, the conclusion was, but if that's what you set for us, as long as we're in the home, we will abide by it. That was the appropriate thing to do. Absolutely appropriate. That was the moral duty of each of those four kids to listen to and oblige what I have said in the home as obedient children being, being obedient with respect. Now, when they have established their own families, could they have different standards when it comes to attire, when it comes to entertainment? That is their liberty. But they have to come to owning some standards for themselves. And young people, don't do this. Don't say, I'm going to reject everything my parents said without evaluating it. If my parents had this standard that we dressed up to go to church, I'm just not going to do it because my parents said we had to. Don't be so foolish as to reject everything. Evaluate before the Word of God and own it between you and God. What does God want you to do? How does God want you to live? Make it your own. That means as well, those of us who, who you who have grown up in a Christian home, you want to evaluate. Why do we do what we do? Just because mom and dad said it was so? Own it. 
Take it between you and the Lord. Examine it. And don't reject things just because mom and dad did it or don't just accept it because mom and dad, you own it between you and God and make it your own. And so discern how you best can honor the Lord. You establish boundaries and parameters based upon where your battles were, what your struggles are, what your reputation is, where you are living. I'm not talking moral standards. I'm talking your personal liberty areas. And so ownership. Can you give me another word that I think is important here? Happy is he that condemns not himself in things. Freedom. Freedom. Okay, what I mean by that is not freedom from all standards. I don't think we should do that. I've already mentioned that. Once you determine, though, God is leading in an area, stick with it. Stick with it. That is, don't let yourself or others second-guess your, your decisions that, that you may adopt, even if it feels strange. I'll give you a couple that feel strange for some of you. Some of you come from churches that in the churches it was absolutely wrong for a woman ever to wear slacks. You came to a conclusion that sometimes I might be more modest in slacks, and so I'm going to wear some at times. But that transition in your lifestyle and in your clothing, it may have felt weird. It may have felt odd. Or you came and you said, I never wore dresses. And now I've come to a point that I think I, that makes it a little bit, and I, when I worship, when I do, that helps me to be a little bit more formal and observant. And it feels different. It feels a lot different in the wintertime. Okay? Practically. Keep it. Don't let somebody else force one way or the other. You, some of you said, okay, you came from backgrounds where makeup was absolutely taboo. You all of a sudden come along and you say, okay, can I use some makeup? Fine, but it feels weird. It's strange. Or you came from a background where it was so much makeup, nobody knew who you really were. Okay? And you say, I'm coming to a point where I'm, I'm not wearing as much and it feels weird. Own it. Keep it. Have freedom. Where he goes on, he says, okay, some of you have chosen not to have a TV. Some of you have chosen a TV. And you say, but others are giving us some pressure. Keep it for what's for you. Own it and have freedom. Don't have somebody else force you. I'll give you one that's going to be in some of this discussion. You opt not to have a cell phone sitting in church because you don't want to be distracted. You don't want to be a distraction to others. You know that you're almost addicted to the thing that if it buzzes or rings, you've got to answer it even in the middle of worship and you decide, I'm not going to have, I'm going to turn the thing off. Does that feel weird if you don't have your phone with you? Seriously, does it? For some of us, it would. For some of us, it would really, you feel, you feel in this culture, you feel almost like you're naked. If you don't have it. I mean, I've got it off and I've still got it right with me. Okay, because the addiction. Okay, and so you, you turn the thing off and your friends in church say, well, why'd you turn it off? Don't, you, know, you can leave it on, but you have decided that's not the best for you. Have the freedom and the confidence that you can, you can do this. And you don't have to live under the pressure of others. This is a liberating thought to realize we have personal liberties between us and Christ. That we don't have to have the preacher give us all the guidelines. That we don't have to live by other people's standards and expectations at all times. What liberties we have in Christ. What freedoms. No doubt. It's not one word, but it's two words. No doubt. He ends up the chapter with this. Evaluate your choices by Scripture. Determine your standards. But he that doubts is damned if he eats. He that eats not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If you are being led by the Spirit towards one way or the other, when it comes to, say, your clothing, your, your food stuff, 
then if you have doubts, don't. I have something still in my life. I have doubts. I know they're not an issue. I know that they don't change me, but they just, okay, because of my background, I don't want to touch those things. I want to stay away from them because of this verse. If I'm not confident, it doesn't hurt me not to have it in my life. It's no great loss. I don't have to be able to do everything and anything. So as I'm looking, looking back and saying righteousness, peace, joy, I'm wanting to serve the Lord. I want to identify with Christ and I want to magnify Him so others can see I'm a Christian. They had a problem in Vietnam and Laos. Some of you remember these countries were news a long time ago. But the problem was that before they had real defined boundaries, they had different people living upon the border and the kings wanted to collect taxes from their people. And they decide, okay, there's not a specific border, and some of them overcross. We have some Vietnamese, they're living in the area where the Laotians were, and vice versa. How are we going to get the tax? It was very easy, they said. It was very easy. It wasn't complicated like it would be here in the States. Because the Laotians, they would only eat short-grain rice. The Vietnamese, long-grain rice. The Laotians had houses on stilts. The Vietnamese, more on the ground. When it came to decorating the house, the Laotians would use Indian-type serpents the, uh, in their decor and in their design. The, the Vietnamese, they would use Chinese-style serpents. And so it wasn't a problem because the people adopted their culture. They could tell who owed taxes to which king based upon how they looked, how they acted, how they dressed, how they ate. It was all tied together with the culture that they adopted. This passage is telling us that we should live in the culture that we value most, Christianity. We value Jesus Christ, what he tells us and instructs us, we should adopt his value system. We should adopt, excuse me, a value system that says, I value you and I should be concerned about brothers and sisters in Christ. That should impact how I live, how I act, and how I treat one another.